0: The book of Revelation is probably one of the most misunderstood books of the Bible. Uh, But what if I were to tell you that the Revelation is not to be feared? In fact, it's a book of hope. Uh, Think about it. Now, there may be persecution, there may be battles, but in the end, Jesus rules, God's kingdom comes, and hope wins. We know the end of the book. We know how it all turns out, don't we? Some of the images might be a little bit scary, but revelation is intended as a word of comfort to God's people during a troubled time. Now, we're going to be doing a little more teaching than preaching today. Uh, You know, it's kind of like when you're watching one of those... Uh, trilogies of movies like Lord of the Rings or one of the marble trilogies where you know you got to introduce things you got to introduce all the characters and it doesn't really get going until the second part but we got a lot of things we got to cover this morning if we don't cover the things we're gonna look at today it'll be harder to understand where we're going now we're focusing mainly in this series on the seven churches of the book of Revelation these are seven very real churches in Asia Minor, and they were under intense persecution all around the year 90 A.D. when John wrote this. And Jesus gave John a vision, and he told John, write it down and send it to these seven churches. So that's where we're going today. That's where we started. Will you pray with me as we get started? (laughs) Heavenly Father, you are the God of all creation. You are the Alpha and Omega the beginning of the end you are the one who is and who was and who is to come the almighty lord to us some of these things in this book are a mystery but nothing is unknown by you lord open your words so that we can understand more of you and your intentions and how to live more for you reveal yourself in your in our hearts and in our lives in jesus name amen you know the Bible with all of its stories is for everybody it's not a limited book um, you know the, it's not meant that some books are for some people who went to seminary or people who spent years poring over books of prophecy and learning theology this book of Revelation is for everyone just like the rest of the Bible and uh, That's one reason that I'm starting this series today, is to to try to help you to kind of embrace this book where you might have been a little standoffish with it. You might have been a little nervous about it. Second reason I'm teaching on this today is that this book has often been misquoted and quoted out of context and misused. You know, during the time of COVID, Revelation has been frequently used to scare the pants off of Christians and so my reasoning here today is to help you not get caught with your pants down when jesus comes back in fact i don't want to hear jesus say to any of us hey why were you ducking and running for cover when you should have been about your father's business and that's important that we keep going that no matter what's happening no matter what kind of things happen to us or around us we keep believing And we keep on obeying God. Amen? All right. Third reason I'm doing this is I want to give you some insight and a few tools so that when you read this book for yourself, you're not so overwhelmed. You're not scared of what you see here. So scared that you avoid it. Or that when you read it, you're not reading into it things that are not really there. I want you to be able to absorb what is there and not to fret over the rest of it. So many people are in that fretting mode, and we don't want to be there. So let's begin in the beginning. Revelation chapter 1, and you might want to open your Bible. I'm going to encourage you to do that. Um, You're going to want your Bible open, and you're maybe going to want to underline some passages as we go along, some key words and phrases. You might want to write a few margin notes, things like that. Uh, Notice that I say revelation. I don't say revelations there is no s in Revelation it's not revelations it is the revelation that God gave to John so I'm starting in Revelation chapter 1 and I'm gonna read through verse 8 to get us started the revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave to him to know to show his servants what must soon take place he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw that is the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near John to the seven churches in the province of Asia grace and peace to you from him who is and was and is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now you notice it starts off here where we left off a few weeks back when we looked at uh, the Great Commission and we looked at Acts uh, chapter 1 down around verse 8. And and, uh, the guys are standing there and Jesus ascends into heaven to the right hand of the Father and they're standing there with their mouths open looking up at the sky. And the angels say, hey, what are you doing standing there? You ought to get on with it. Meanwhile, we know that he's going to come back the way you saw him leave. And you're going to see him coming in the clouds. And that's what this starts off with here. You know, the very first word in this book is the word apocalypse. Apocalypse. You know that scary word? I thought I had it up there. Maybe I don't. How many of you have heard that word apocalypse before? You heard that word? Yeah. So what does it mean? Something scary and terrifying, right? Some hard thing that's going to happen. Uh, Most of the secular sources that I looked up to see what this word meant, they all said something like this. The end of the world. Um, One particular dictionary said the complete final destruction of the world. It said it was an event involving destruction or damage on an awesome or catastrophic scale. Is that what an apocalypse is? See, that's popular belief. That's popular culture. But the word apocalypse actually means to take the cover off, to look at something that has been revealed. Did you ever do that in your mom's kitchen? You know, something's boiling on the stove, you can smell it's good when you walk in and you don't know what it is, so you come in and you take the cover off and you smell it and you look in and you see what's cooking that's what the book of Revelation is this is God lifting the lid this is God pulling back the curtain so we can see what he's cooking to see what's going on underneath Revelation shows us beyond the material world it takes us into a spiritual world that is usually hidden to us we don't usually see it that way anybody ever read Frank Peretti's books like the this present darkness or piercing the darkness I see some of you did that You know, I love Frank, I love what he writes, and I love that stuff. That book, it helps us, or those books help us to kind of see beyond, to look behind the curtain, to lift the lid and look into the pot to see what God's cooking. Well, there are some things I want to share with you today that are are very important for us to understand as we look at Revelation. And so we're going to do a lot of that this morning. We'll get into the, to the, to the chapter itself a little bit, but we'll spend more time here at the front end. Now, there's that word apocalypse that I was looking for. This book cannot mean for us today what it did not mean to them in their day. Do you hear that? You understand that? See, we're, we often do what I call um, theological appropriation. You know, we lift something from this culture, this Jewish culture, this Jewish book, this book that was written in Palestine, this book that was written in Hebrew in the Old Testament and in Greek and Aramaic in the New Testament, and we lift this thing and we take it and we read it as if it was written in southern Texas, You know, we appropriate it. We take it in. But we don't always get a sense of what it really means. This book needs to mean for us today the same thing as it meant for them, at least for a starting point, so that we understand why it was written and where it was written and who it was written to and all those kinds of things. Uh, You didn't wake up this morning and uh, just find it in your mailbox, did you? And that means that this book... The Bible was not written to you. It was written for you. There is a difference between those things. Um, You know, I know it's very romantic to say, oh, this is God's love letter to us, and on and on. And and I get that sense of it, because, you know, we read it, and it just feels like God is speaking to us, and often he does speak to us in that way. But the Scriptures were written for us and not... To us. I want you to think about that. Uh, who were the letters to the Corinthians written to? The Corinthians. Who were the letters to the Galatians written to? Who did God say go build an ark to? To Noah. Now, when you read those words in, in the story of Noah, you just don't say, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do, and you don't go out in the backyard and start building an ark. God is telling Noah, and we recognize that God is speaking to Noah. But as we read the story of Noah from the story, we get all these principles, and we follow the lessons that we learn from that book. You know, that's where it comes to us. God preserved it so that we would be able to see those stories, and so that we would be able to take the lessons into our own lives and live for God. We learn things like obedience and faithfulness from Noah. We learn about the hard lessons when we disobey God or if we wait too long to come to him and the door closes. You know, there are all kinds of really important things that we learn. But that book wasn't written to us. It was preserved for us. So when we approach Revelation, we don't read it like a road map to the future, And that's how a lot of people approach this. Well, everything in here is going to happen to me. Everything here is written to me. Everything here is something I need to be afraid of because it might just happen tomorrow. Well, guess what? There are some things that are written in the book of Revelation that were written to a very specific group of people. In fact, seven churches in the province of Asia Minor, very real and specific places, And it was written for them to deal with things that were going on in their lives at that time. It doesn't mean we can't learn the principles. It doesn't mean that we can't learn the lessons that are there. And it doesn't mean that there isn't stuff written there in the book of Revelation that applies to everybody universally. You know, as you, especially as you move on in the book and you get towards the latter half of the book and it's talking about the coming kingdom of God and it's talking about heaven and it's talking about all that stuff that we look forward to, all that hopeful stuff. So you see that, you know, we can't just sort of plow into it as if every single thing was written for us here and now in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. Now, the the third thing I want to point out is the book is not chronological. That means not everything happens in front, one thing in front of the other. You know, as we, um, the way we look at time, right? We look at time in a linear way. One thing happens, then the next thing happens, then the next thing happens. But this book jumps around. Sometimes you'll be looking at present day. And then the next verse you might be looking at the future. And then sometimes it takes you back in the past, like in Revelation chapter 13, if you're reading there, and there's this pregnant woman, and there's this dragon, the red dragon is waiting to devour this child. Well, we have just suddenly jumped 90 years into the past to the birth of Jesus. We're looking at an event in history that happened long before this actually was written. And then it jumps back before that. It jumps back to the fall of Satan and his followers. And then it jumps forward again, and it says that, you know, because the dragon was unable to devour the child, unable to defeat the child, it says the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who's that? That's us, right? Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. All three of those things, past, present, and future for them, they, they all happen in the same chapter. <laughs> That's not quite the way we normally are used to reading things, is it? Uh, Matt Chandler says that when you read this book, it's not about what happens next. It's about what John sees next, because this is a vision that's the next point that's important this book is a vision and it doesn't follow the normal rules that we're used to when we read scripture you know it's very very heavy on symbolism so a lampstand is not always a lampstand sometimes it's a church and. The fact is that people have spent more than 2,000 years trying to figure out all these symbols and all these things and, you know, what does the nail on the little toe of the dragon symbolize and what does this symbolize or that symbol? You know, we've spent so much time trying to analyze all that stuff. And, you know, it's a losing battle. There are some things that we may not understand here and now. But there's enough here and now that we can understand about living for Jesus and the principles and the, and the and the parts of the story that's unfolding. You know, there's poetry in there. There's what we call apocalyptic readings, which are these revelation pieces like you would get in Daniel or Ezekiel and other places like that, that are a little more hard to understand because they're they're. It's almost like they're written in code. We'll get to that as we start into the churches themselves, because there is a bit of code going on. But hopefully we'll be able to understand it as we go. You know, if you get a glimpse into the incredible things that God is doing and God is bringing, then you've grasped the main point. And if you grab onto some of these principles, then you've got hope. Because hope is what we need, especially in the worst of times. And remember this is the reason for this book god sent this to john to give to these churches to give them hope in the middle of some of the worst persecution in history you know here's one more thing that we need to know and that is that this is an old testament book why do i say that well um, we don't read it like the Gospels which is a narrative and it tells the story of Jesus and about his teachings. We don't read it like the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells us the story of that first church and how they got started, what they were teaching. Uh, you can't read it um, in that way. This is an Old Testament style book. Uh, you know, there are 404 verses in this book. 404. Out of those 404, 360 of those verses are either quotes or references to the Old Testament. 360 out of 404. That's an awful lot. It tells us that these promises that God gave to his people, even way back then in the Old Testament, Jesus is bringing to fulfillment. They're coming about. And and there's one more thing as we approach this first part of the book, and that is that the writing has a bit of a pattern, and you'll notice patterns as you read through. And and pay attention to those patterns as you're reading through the book, especially during the first three chapters when we're talking about seven churches in Revelation. Um, the, The first part, there is this pattern, which is commendation and course correction. And so Jesus says, I have this to commend you for. Hey, you're doing a great job at this. But I hold this against you. Here's a place where you need to fix it or there will be consequences. And you'll see that repeated over and over again. So let's read the actual introduction to the letter that starts down at at verse 9 and runs through verse 20. Sardis Philadelphia and Laodicea I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest the hair on his head was white like wool and as white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire His feet were bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like a sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. He placed his right hand on me and said, "'Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last.'" I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches." Lots in this very first part. And this is just the introduction. There's so much stuff here. We could preach, you know, for a good number of months on just the content of the first chapter alone because it says so much about Jesus and who Jesus is. And it has a lot to say about our relationship to him. So we know that John, the apostle John, was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. Uh, they tried to get him to shut up. He wouldn't shut up. He kept talking about Jesus. He kept preaching Jesus. And eventually, in about 94 AD, he was sent to the island of Patmos. Let me just put that up so you can see where that is. Uh, if you look on the map, in the bottom left-hand corner, you'll see Patmos in a little bit of a pinkish, reddish color. And then you can see opposite on the, on the coast, you can see these seven churches. These are the churches of Asia Minor. We would call this area Turkey today. Well, John was sent to Patmos because he refused to stop preaching, and this was a really intense time of persecution. It started about A.D. 64 with Nero. Uh, you may remember a bit of that story in A.D. 64, that Rome burned. And, and, you know, you hear the story about, you know, uh, Nero fiddled while Rome burned. We don't know if that's true or not, but Rome burned down and he blamed the Christians because he was being criticized. And so that began this time of persecution. And several emperors followed suit and persecuted the Christians after that. I mean, we know that all kinds of terrible things happened. Uh, Some were crucified, some were burned, some were beheaded, some were thrown to the wild beasts, including leopards and boars and even lions. You know, in that regard, John got off a little bit lucky. You know, he was just sent to an island, right? But, um, you know, I've read that um, there were Christians who were dipped in wax and lit as candles to light the way. I've read that so many were crucified at one point that there wasn't a tree left standing in Galilee. That's persecution. We don't know that kind of persecution. You know, we talk about it, about being persecuted in this country. We have no concept. There are some in the world who do, some who have been through these terrible tortures and more than we can even imagine. John was stuck on an island. He couldn't leave the island, but he could send letters. And so, You'll notice what's going on with John. What's what's John doing when he gets the revelation of God? It says, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. John was in worship. It was the Lord's day. He was in the Spirit. He was given over to the Spirit of God. He was immersed in God. He was experiencing God and God's presence through the Holy Spirit and in that place and in that time God spoke to him it says Jesus spoke to him and he heard from God you can also see as you read through that there's all this symbolism you know here's this one like a son of man what does that mean means that he was human in appearance for one But but if you read that, you'll notice that, again, there's a huge Old Testament reference, and you can go back and read the prophets, and you can see that very same image, one like a son of God. He's described a little differently, but you know it's the same person from the way it's described. There's other symbolism here. The the lampstands. Now, our lampstand has gone out. I didn't know how long these little candles would burn this morning, but the seven-branched menorah was something that was originally in the tabernacle, and it was the only light that they had, according to Exodus 25. It was the only light in the, in the tabernacle. It was designed so the light projected ahead so the priests could see what they were doing. And it says in that same chapter of Exodus 25 that that light was kept burning all the time. It never went out. It went day and it went night. And there were priests who were assigned to keep that light going. And the reason for that is the light symbolized the presence of God. And that's why it was important to keep the light burning. But, you know, next week we're going to pick up on a lot more detail of this. But, but we're, and we're going to start chapter 2 with the book of Ephesus. But before we move on to the Lord's Supper this morning, um, there are a few things I want you to consider. Things that I think kind of leap out at me from this section Uh, the first thing is I, i often hear people longing for the presence of god and the voice of god in their lives where was john when god's spirit spoke to him where was john john was in the spirit of god on the lord's day he was in worship So it's important to remember that if you want to hear from God, you need to be in a place where you can hear him speak to you. You know, if you're not listening, he may be speaking, but you may not be catching it. So you got to be in a place, in an attitude, and submitted to God, and submitted to God's Spirit in a way that God will speak to you and direct you. And that's a pretty important piece. He was worshiping God, he was filled with God, he was listening for God. The second thing I want to point out here has to do with light. The symbol for the church, it says, was the lampstand. Seven churches, seven lampstands. Seven angels, as the messenger. The word angel means messenger, or you could say delivery person. (laughs) And here we have these seven churches symbolized as a lampstand. Again, we just said what the lampstand was. It was in the temple and in the tabernacle, that one light that represented God. In John eight twelve, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light, the light of life. In John 9, 5, he says, While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. What's the implication? That when he's not in the world, something else happens. Verse 6 tells us that he has made us into a priesthood. Into a priesthood. Remember this passing of the baton we've been talking about the last couple of weeks in terms of the Great Commission. The ministry of Jesus was given to his disciples to continue. It was passed on. Well, think about the light in this same way. Jesus passed the light on to you. He says in John 12, 36, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. In other words, it is God's will that we become his light. We become the light. We share the light of Christ as individuals, And as the church, we are God's light in the world. Jesus is still the light of the world, but it is his will that we become the light that reveals him. And we keep the light going. We are now the priests. A royal priesthood, it says in Hebrews. We are called to perform the priestly duties. You know, it's hard for us to think of ourselves that way. We don't think of ourselves as priests. But it says that Jesus is our great high priest, and now we have given this role. And we just talked about the priests in the tabernacle and in the temple, they kept the light going 24-7. And that's given to us. It's given to us. The seven churches of Revelation, the seven churches of Asia Minor, Uh, We're going to soon discover uh, that, that here's this word given to them and this course correction given to them, but on the basis of how well they shine the light. On the basis of how well they shine the light of Jesus. How well they represent God in the world. So let me ask you as we wrap up here, are you in a place today where you can hear God's voice? Are you in a place where you can hear God speak to you? And are you shining brightly for the Lord? Are you the light in the world? We need to ask God to speak to us. And we need to ask him to, by his Holy Spirit, fuel our lampstand so that we as individuals and we as the church burn brightly and people can see who jesus is amen let's pray lord jesus fill our lamps with the oil of the holy spirit may we be light in a way that others can see christ in us let this your church bear witness to jesus we open our ears to hear from you and as we move through the letter to the churches We ask that you would speak loud and clear. And we commit our lives to obey you at whatever cost. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.